For more resources, visit rym.org. The Local Youth Worker is a daily podcast that's centered on five questions each week. Ranging from the practical to the professional, we're looking for answers to the questions you're asking. Whether you're in full-time, part-time, or even volunteer youth ministry, this podcast is for you. Hey everybody, welcome back to our Friday show. We've been talking with Russ Whitfield all this week. Um, Hopefully uh, you've tuned in and heard uh, some of those. And um, as we draw this to a close, we know that we've only scratched the surface. Uh, There is so much uh, more to talk about and hopefully uh, that's just a ploy to get you back on here um, Mm. by saying that, (laughs) get you back on the podcast. So um, I guess as we're drawing this to a close, would you make a you know final plea uh, to those listening uh, for why they need to you know think about this issue, pray about this issue, wrestle with this issue? I mean, as you close out yesterday, you kind of said there's going to be a point in which you're saying, you know, why did I do this? Um, because yeah. this is going to, uh, just like many things in Christianity, bring you to the end of yourself. Um, so kind of making that final plea uh, why we should think, pray, and be wrestling with this issue. Mm. Well, I would say that the short answer is because everything in our book and everything about our God cries out for us to do that. Um, This is not um, about being politically correct, because long before there was a socio-political playbook coming from American culture, there was the Holy Scriptures telling us of a God who would stop at nothing to get his family back. A family comprised of all different walks of life, people who spoke all different kinds of languages, who came from all different kinds of cultures. And he established Israel. He started with Abraham. He blessed him to be a blessing to the nations. And that's exactly the vision he had for Israel, so that the nations could be glad. And even when Israel dropped the ball, the one true Israelite came and fulfilled that calling in his death, burial, and resurrection. And now he has given that same mission and that same calling to his church, and he has provided the power that they have have need of in the spirit to actually fulfill that mission. So God has determined, we see God's purposes and his goals in the book of Revelation. But here's the thing, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, they don't get there by a holy zap from heaven. God doesn't microwave that. The church is his means of bringing that mission and bringing those goals to fulfillment. We're his favorite instrument, and that's what's so special and important about the church. Above any other organization or organism or institution, only the church has these promises and this purpose vouchsafed to it. And this is why the church is so important in commitment to the local church and the church with a capital C is so on the heart of God. And so to belong to this community— Uh, is to be about this purpose 
is to be organizing and orienting our lives to the mission of God uh, above all of our other pursuits and ambitions. And so I, I would say this is of the essence of what it means to know God, to walk with him, and to live in light of his love for, for his own glory. So I would say that's why we should care. Um, and I think that, um, and I think that when you look at the gospel proper, uh, everything in the gospel drives us in this direction. Everything that we would raise as an excuse for avoiding it, if you apply that to the gospel, uh, what you will learn is that there would be no good news for us if Jesus argued like we do. You know, oh, you know, I'm just not like them. You know, I, I just don't, I don't, I just don't understand. You know, like why they are the way they are because it's just crazy to me. They're they're like strange. They're weird to me. Like. I, I, we're just not alike. We're just so different. It doesn't make sense. I mean, could you imagine that? Jesus standing before the Father. Father, you know, I'm just not like them. You know, I, <laughs> I'm holy. They're not. I'm righteous. They're not. I'm amazing. They're not. We have nothing in common, Father. I'm about your glory. They're about their own glory. <laughs> I, I, I'm about I'm about what is holy and righteous and true. They're about what's unholy and unrighteous and false. Like we have nothing in common, Father. If Jesus applied the logic that we do, where would we be? And at every point that we resist this call to this life of crossing the boundaries, crossing the borders, moving toward the people uh, that are aren't like us, moving toward the people, you're never more like Jesus than when you're crossing the border out of love to those people. Hmm. That's who he is. Hmm, absolutely. Yeah. And that's just some helpful perspective uh, to see <laughs> the case that Jesus Christ had against us um, and yet reached out to us, loved us when we were absolutely unlovable. Um, mm -hmm. So some very good um, perspective there. Um, Russ, again, so much more we could say, but as, as we close this out, uh, could you give some, some resources uh, to us, some, some, maybe some books or podcasts, um, even, I know, movies, music. Uh, I know John mm -hmm. Perkins is one who has uh, said that in some of his books, how that can be helpful just to expose ourselves to other cultures through movies and music. So any of those yeah. res resources that could be helpful um, as we, we move out and close this out? Yeah, well... This is going to sound like I'm such a holy roller, but <laughs> <laughs> go for it. It's a safe place. Okay. I am a big fan of, of people who are trying to get into this mode of thinking. Like I would rather you re you, you rethink your entire approach to scripture and spend your time observing this in scripture before you start going to any other books, because we're, we're a people of the book, right? And I find that it's much more powerful in spreading this vision when you can, when you can really bring it from the scriptures and you start with scripture so that you have greater discernment as you read outside works. And so I would start with, with asking the kinds of questions uh, different kinds of questions when you come to the scriptures. Like, 
do we like in what ways do I see cross-cultural love in the scriptures? In what ways do the scriptures challenge God's people to live this way? Do the scriptures challenge God's people to live this way? What is it in the scriptures that 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 fights against the life of isolation or or parochialism or only looking out for one's own? And what I think you'll find is that the, the spirit will minister to you so hard on every page of scripture nearly as, as it relates to this cross-cultural piece. Um, just take one example, the story of Jonah. Uh, the book of Jonah has been read in the past and even in the current as a story um, about this runaway prophet and the gist of it is he's running away from God's will. So we need to not run away from God's will. We need to do what God tells us to do, right? It's been read moralistically. It's also been read uh, missionally in this way. Uh, this story shows the, the religious prophet as the negative example and the religious outsiders as the positive example. And, and the story is all about the encounter between the church and the world. And it's engaged from the religious insider, religious outsider perspective. But if you... But if you remember that what God calls Jonah to do is, is sort of unique, because most prophets did their ministry within the border, borders of Israel to the people of Israel. But what Jonah is called to do is to go to those people. He's called to cross a geographical border. Uh, you know, he's going to the people on the other side of the train tracks. You know, like <laughs> he's called to cross... Uh, a, a cultural border, right? He's called across a religious border. And what does he do? He runs. And what you see the narrator doing is he frames this prophet who resists the call to cross borders in the most negative light possible. And what we see is that Jonah is a stand-in for Israel that has run away from their calling to be a light to the nations. And so what God does is he brings his reluctant prophet to actually work out this cross-cultural mission. You know, getting swallowed up by a fish at the bottom of the, the sea will have that kind of heart-softening <laughs> effect on you, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so he wanders into Nineveh. He brings his message. The people repent, and he's mad. Why? Because he doesn't want grace to go to those people. And you got to remember who those people were. It was deeply cultural. He despised them for their cultural distinctiveness, for their, their religious disposition. They were the, those people. They were the heathens. They were the goy, the goyim, like the, the, the foreigners, right? <clears throat> and what you see God saying, should I not love that great city? What we see is that God loves the people that he wants to run away from, right? And some commentators think that it's actually Jonah who wrote this book. And it was a, it's a book of repentance because he sees the foolishness of his ways and he's repented, you know? Like, like the book ends in a question and we don't know what happened with Jonah, but some commentators think he wrote the book and he's remembering in humble repentance the way he used to be toward those people. And now he's pleased to use himself as a negative example 
uh, of the way that Israel needs to repent and change and return to their mission to be a light to the nations. And it's like in that book, it's, it's all over the place, right? But think about what that book does. That book is not just about the runaway prophet. It's about, it makes you long for, when you read and listen to the ugliness in the life of this prophet, what it does is it makes you long for a greater prophet who would run away from God's call to go to those people, but he would embrace it. He wouldn't withhold uh, his love from those people because Jonah's love stopped at the boundaries of Israel. This new and greater prophet, his love would cover the entirety of, of the world and all of its diversity. And so that's, I think that that's the way that the story of Jonah leads us to the greater Jonah. <laughs> One greater than Jonah is here, Jesus says. And it's because, he's, why is he greater than Jonah? Because he willingly takes up the call of God to go to those people for their redemption. And so that's, I mean, that's just an example, Jonah, cross-cultural. Look at the four gospels. They're each framed up toward a specific group for the purposes of bringing the same Jesus to different people. They have different, you know, different aims, different goals, different audiences. It shows you that it's, it's like four versions of the same song, right? You got the rock version, the classical version, the jazz version, and the blues version. It's like, okay, the same Jesus, different stories. Why different stories? Because they're aimed at different people. To show you that Christ plays on a thousand stages, as Eugene Peterson put it, right? Mm. Jesus plays in every culture. Uh, Jesus can relate to every single person in all of their different trials and struggles. And it's our calling to present him in that way, to represent him in that way, and to embody that in our community. Mm. So, I mean, listen, the other thing I'll say about resources is that there aren't a lot of good ones, actually. Um, and it's a testimony to how, how weak we have been in thinking about this. And so, um, yeah, so I don't actually read a lot of books out there on this. I just try to drive deeper into scripture with, my, with the training that I've received. And I try to ask different questions. And I try to read the scriptures in interpretive community. So when I'm around my Hispanic brothers and sisters, I ask them, questions about how they see the text. When I'm around my Asian brothers and sisters, I ask them, how does, how does this text or this particular passage, how do, how do you hear this through your, your own cultural um, experience growing up? Because we're crazy if we think we come with a clean slate. We all have a culture and, it, and all of us have a culture that influences the way that we hear scripture and the way that we fail to hear scripture. And so what we need is we need interpretive community. We need historical community, right? That's why we, you know, appreciate and value the work that comes out of the Reformation to help us to understand the scriptures. Um, and we appreciate, you know, the work around the globe, God's work through history. I mean, all of the, all of the theology that we believe as Reformed people, it comes from, um, the way the reformers stood on the shoulders of one particular black African theologian named Augustine of Hippo. You know, as many people would say, uh, scholars of the reformed faith would say that the reformed faith was an Augustinian renewal movement, right? It was a renewal. So what I'm saying is much of what we cherish about our understanding of the faith comes from outside of our own cultural experience, and we need help to see. I'll, I'll, stop, I'll stop with saying this. 
I'll stop with saying this. I'm telling you, I, I feel like I could talk about this all day because I <laughs> this. C.S. Lewis had this group he was in uh, called the Inklings. And there's this comment that he makes uh, when one of the guys in the group dies, uh, Charles Williams, I believe it was. And he said that when Charles died, he didn't just lose Charles. He lost something uh, of J.R. Tolkien as well, because there were certain things that only Charles could bring out of Tolkien, right? Like there, there was certain, there was a certain way in which the 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 diversity of their group actually rounded out their their broader appreciation for one another. And Lewis makes the point. He says, if this is the case in human relationships, how much more so is it the case with God? And he said that's why the angels come together and they each cry, holy, holy, holy. They all are seeing particular beauties of God. And together, as they share that, they, they multiply uh, the glory that is there to be beheld in God. And so we can't really know the fullness of God's glory without having people outside of our own narrow perspective. That's the immensity of God. That's the greatness and the grandeur of God. If we think we've gotten to the bottom of him, through our own cultural lenses, we're sadly mistaken. And that's why I will take the rest of glory to explore the greatness of who he is. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that um, quote for sure. And as you're saying, I mean, you know, as we think about all of humanity being created in the image of God, these different cultures are showing off different aspects of that, that image uh, for sure. Um, so Russ, yeah. very helpful again. I love how you continue to point us back to the means of grace, emphasizing mm. being in the word. Um, and again, Russ, I know you have a lot on your plate and you've got three minutes uh, before you're supposed to be somewhere. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I know we need to, we need to wrap this up, but uh, once again, thanks so much for your time and thanks for engaging in this conversation. Yeah. Glad to, glad to be on here. Thanks for the kind invitation. Absolutely. Oh, come and buy without money. Oh, Without pay, for the king has opened his banquet hall to the beggar, the outcast, and the slave. For the king has opened his banquet hall to the beggar, the outcast, and the slave.